0: We're Billboard Ensemble. Uh-huh. And have we got news for you. You better listen. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is coming to the
1: Memo Arts Centre from the 20th to the 23rd of July, featuring 25 dance
0: floor classics such as I Will Survive, Hot Stuff, Go West and many more. Tickets on sale now at memoartcenter.co.uk or call at 01446 738
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Creative Space Podcast. I am your host, Trilly Rhys-Steens, and today's guest is none other than the woman behind Mamma Mia! The Musical and The Musical Films. Her name is Catherine Johnson, and she sits down with me to talk about her career, how she started out at the Bristol Old Vic, how she got on to become a well-renowned playwright, and also how she got involved in making mamma mia the musical especially working with abba working with mel street pierce Bodden's, all the a-listers and it goes on and on i just would like to say as well a big shout out and this episode is dedicated to my fiance emily halford she loves katherine johnson she loves mamma mia the musical so this one goes out to emily halford my fiance i love you always so i hope you enjoy this one and for you guys i hope you enjoy it too so without further ado Let's get on to it. It's me and Catherine Johnson on Creative Space Podcast. So, Mm. Catherine Johnson on Creative Space Podcast. Um, I got loads of questions, not just about Mamma Mia. So, don't worry about that. Yeah. Um, I I just really wanted to know. I came across not just with Mamma Mia, but the first time I came across you was on a documentary that the BBC produced, which was the story of musicals, and then you were on the third episode talking about um, when how jukebox musicals became started to grow and become a thing with you know oh, We Were Rock You, the Mia, uh, etc. Now, yeah. what I want to know is that the one thing that really intrigued me was that uh, when you were interviewed. You said that uh, you asked your, I don't know if he you was your manager or your agent, um, but you said, I'm desperate for work. I want some <laughs> money. Can you get me work? But um, yeah. well, I want to know how you got into the theater industry. Yeah. Sort of someone like myself who wants to be going into that industry, how did you get in and how, you know, what was the, the journey for you yeah. pre, I think this is the right word, pre Mamma Mia. What was it yeah. like to go through that course?
0: I mean, when I look back, I see how fortunate I was um, because I don't know, I think the opportunities are harder now. Um, But even then, I thought it was quite difficult because I didn't go to university and I didn't do creative writing courses. I just had this idea that I was going to be a writer. And then I got to a stage in my life where I had my son and my daughter, was on the way and I started to feel I haven't done it. I haven't done the thing in life I wanted to do. So in our local paper in the Bristol Evening Post, there was a competition from the HTV West and Wales um, and Bristol Old Vic looking for playwrights, sending in a new play. And the great thing about it was that you could do it under a pseudonym. So new writers and experienced writers were judged kind of at the same level. And I just got this real burning urge to do this, to prove to myself I could write a play from start to finish. I'd gone to theatre a lot in my life and I loved being in the theatre. And I'd always wanted that role, to be working in theatre, but I just didn't know how to break into it. So I wrote the play really, really quickly. I used to write in the early hours before my son woke up. And I must have written it in about two weeks longhand. And then someone else had to type it for me because I didn't own computers or anything like that. And it was just like a dream come true. I actually won the first prize, but I'd entered it under a completely different name. So they didn't really know what they were getting Um, and then the artistic director at the Bristol Old Vic at that time immediately left so there I was with this play that won a prize but no idea what was going to happen next fortunately the next director came in and read it and said it's got flaws but I'm going to introduce you to a director to work with that director was Terry Johnson who was also a playwright is also a playwright mm. and he gave me some really really good feedback that i've worked with ever since and when i'd rewritten the play they decided it was okay it was good enough to put on and that's how it started just by the sheer luck of winning the competition but also the really really good advice i had from somebody who was experienced but also good enough to share their experience with me and then yeah. i came around to, yeah.
1: yeah it's, it's <laughs> funny that you mentioned terry johnson because i tried to get him on the show weeks, oh, and, did weeks. You? and it's very hard it's just going through the agencies or the management and everything and well uh,
0: you got was, me and we're at the same agency yeah. so
1: <laughs> it's actually it's his availability because he's doing a project it wasn't the agency's yeah. fault it was right. actually time wise.
0: yeah I mean, he he I I do credit Terry for my career, actually, because if this I don't know if you want to do this in kind of like linear form, but it was my 10 years after that, he was working with Judy Kramer, who is the producer of Mamma Mia. Mm. And she said to him, oh, I've got this idea. I think there should be a musical around the Abba songs. I only just need a writer to come up with something. And he said, do you know Catherine Johnson and got us together? So firstly, he got me my big break of getting into the theatre. And then he got me my massively big break of getting Mamma Mia. So I owe that boy so much.
1: (laughs) The one thing I want to mention is one of the plays that really I think it's called Ragdoll. Was, yeah. I, I call it
0: and that was the first play, yeah. the one that won the contest. Yeah.
1: I call it the beginning of a great journey. Um, so would you kindly elaborate what ragdoll is about and how obviously because you you said you, you won the prize, you won first, mm. first prize, etc. So how did you know going from Ragdoll to the next play, um, just go from this and explain about Ragdoll?
0: Well. Again, before I get into what the play is about, just a little bit of background is that when I saw the writer play, I I had no ideas really. And I was trying to write a play that was like the plays I saw. And then I went to the Bristol Old Vic one night with my dad and I saw Road by Jim Cartwright. And it just kind of like exploded at me. This is somebody writing about their world, the world they know, people they know. And I went home and tore up what I had already been doing and decided to write a play set in the village I grew up in. So it's like very Gloucestershire. Um, the It's a small cast. It's four people. There's a family. Uh, the, there's the, a brother and a sister, the grandmother and the sister's child, who's about 11, 12 when the play opens. And it's it's really sort of slowly develops. Most of it is based around meals they're having. They're sitting there having meals and you start to learn a little bit about their life. And this girl, the young girl is lonely and unhappy and she doesn't have friends and she doesn't know who her father is, which has reminded me slightly of Mamma Mia. But the development as the play goes on is we learn that she is being abused by her uncle. And then eventually we learn her uncle is indeed her dad as well. So it's a generational abuse. He started off abusing his sister. He's now abusing his child. Um, And so it kind of sounds relentlessly grim, but, and it's not based, I should hasten to say, although I set it in the village I grew up in, it's not based on a family I actually knew. Um, But I kind of felt, the best way to write unpalatable truths is to infuse it with humour. And where I grew up, people were very funny and dry all the time. You know, you most of us deal with life by making a joke about the crap stuff. So I put quite a lot of comedy into it. And yeah, it, it kind of, it, it's been a long, long time since I've read it. But I do remember after I'd done the work on it thinking, oh, this feels quite true. This feels quite honest. And that's what I then realised is is how I'm supposed to write. Write what you know, (laughs) which is what we're always told. So my next play was also set here, um, actually set in Western Supermare. And again, it was about two characters who probably want a bit more out of life than they've got at this time.
1: Where did the television work come to fruition then? Because I think uh, I don't know if the like I said, if, if it was around Mummy Me or whatever, but it was television work on, on the horizon for you. So how did that yeah. come
0: out? Well that was the really lucky thing about the prize that I the competition that I won, because it was set up by the Bristol Vic and HTV, it meant that as soon as the play had gone on stage I was then supposed to rewrite it for television so I got a kind of double um you know having gone from never having written a play before I then had to go into never having never written a tv script before um and that got produced here and shown locally so I kind of got a tv credit under my belt at the same time then uh the second play boys mean business the one set in Western was uh, produced at the Bush Theatre in London, which is just down the road from what used to be the BBC's television centre. And a lot of producers turned up looking for new writers because the Bush was and is such a great playground for new writing. And so, yeah, they'd troll for unsuspecting youthful innocence and I got asked if I would write casualty and obviously I said, yeah, you know, at that time it was still filmed here and not that other place that we won't mention that poached it. So we, um, yeah, (laughs) you've got it now. So I was able to go, yeah, well, you know, take your triumphs. (laughs) We all know it was better when it was over here. Um, I was actually able to go down to the hospital and meet the guy who was the original Charlie and hang out for, I bet they don't do this anymore. I got to hang out in A&E with a white coat on just watching people come in and go. And um, yeah, I got confused for a doctor a couple of times. People would ask me things like, oh, the sense of power was brilliant but then I had to go and write it and that was a lot less fun.
1: I was gonna ask you about casualty because someone told me, um, they, they asked me if I was to ever write for television and the choice was casualty or doctors or something like that. Yeah. I mean, how does a writer approach someone in your position? How does one approach in writing casualty? Because obviously you're not just writing, because every time I watch casualty, if it's just, you know, a simple episode, because I know Casualty has yeah. gone to a, it's getting to a point now where the, it's like a continuous story because yeah. I remember back in the day, it never used to be like that. It used yeah. to be like, there's one story, there's one story, and there's one yeah. story, an anthology of stories, but it's always two stories that happen once There's the hospital and there's an accident waiting to happen outside the hospital yeah. that comes together. So yeah. how does one like yourself approach that where you have to write something that's supposedly medically accurate, but at the same time, it's like there's going to be an accident or there's going to be something.
0: How? Yeah. Oh, God, did you know, I, I'd find it really, I, it was such a nightmare doing this at the time. I remember there was another writer on it, um, Lucy Gannon, and she had done more than me. And I just said to her, I can't do this. And she said, no, neither can I. And she had all that experience of doing it. It's so so hard, it's the hardest thing I ever did. So at that time, when I first met with the producers, they had the, the plot, they'd plotted out what they wanted to happen to the regulars and the romances and whatever was going on in the hospital. And then we, the writers were allowed to come up with our accidents of the week. And I think they wanted two or three And they had to be something that hadn't been done before or you know it had to be such novel variation of something that had been done before and obviously back then was easier because god knows how many accidents they've had since but i'm just going to take issue with you saying supposedly medically accurate because that was the hardest part of it Every single thing that the writer writes or did back then had to go through a nurse, an ambulance person, and someone else's, you know, maybe a doctor's input as well. So you could come up with, as I did, a a storyline about a woman who gives birth in the casualty, in the toilets there. And they kept saying, no, 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 this would never happen. You know, you you can't do this. And I kept saying, yeah, but I know people who have said, you know, when they've gone on the way to the hospital and they just, you know. And in the end, I did kind of win that battle, but I lost loads of others because, you know, you get bright ideas, but if they're not medically accurate, they're not going to allow them to go through. Mm. And So, yeah, it was it was a really tough time of having to kind of like a, a rewrite a whole accident overnight just because somebody in the hospital had said, nah, you're not going to, we'd never see that. We wouldn't see that here.
1: Yeah. It's, it's it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, there were people who, you know, women who have, you know, their water's broken in the middle of a shop or something like yeah. that. And you yeah. try to say, well, that wouldn't happen. It's like, well, yeah. it wouldn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. I don't know if that's. It. Would you say that's an ego? Well, I think
0: it, I think that it would have been okay if I'd said it. Oh, and it took place like half an hour away from the casualty. I wanted it to actually happen while she's waiting to be seen, and they they and they probably was sort of right, but you know we we fudged it somehow. I can't even remember why. I was so insistent that she couldn't have been got to the ward. Oh, I know why, because as soon as she got to the ward, she'd be out of casualty, wouldn't she? Hmm, God, it's, yeah. Yeah. I remember at the time I had, I didn't know how to do it. So I just wrote all the scenes down and cut them up and had them lying out on the carpet and shifting them from when can this happen and when can that happen? And I still haven't learned a better way of doing that. It really was hard work. I mean, even in retrospect, I'm thinking, God, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've probably done harder things in some ways, but it was just the amount of characters and plot you're juggling was tough about that. So it's it's a really good learning place to be. Going on.
1: I've always been told, because I did a script writing degree in university, they always yeah. tell me um, it was either going to be an acting or script writing and I was so hoaxed, yeah. I chose the script writing, because one yeah. acting course was going to be in Bath uh, right. and obviously the, word, the script writing course was going to be in Cardiff and I just thought I'm doing a script writing, yeah. I need to, yeah. but it but it's no good <laughs> so uh, <laughs> um, but I've got to get down to it, otherwise if my missus was listening to us now on the way, she'd be going right, let's get to the juicy bits so <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: Let's start with the musical first before anything else with the films and the success and everything. Yeah. There's this some somewhere there's where there's success, there's always got to be a starting point somewhere. And there's always got to yeah. be a spark. Now I, I know I've said that uh the BBC and uh, not the BBC. Yeah, the BBC documentary, story of musicals. Uh the third episode was all yeah. about how mainstream um, how mainstream musicals were getting to a point where there was jukebox musicals and also yeah. they were sort of, what was it? Like talent show, um, you know, like how do you solve a problem like Maria or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of but with uh, jukebox musicals, um, I'm always very intrigued by them because a lot of people is a lot of people celebrate them, but at mm. the same time, I, I've, I've always wanted to ask you before anything else, this question, do you think um, jukebox musicals are somewhat of an easy way to get, to make a musical in a sense that yeah. you think, no, oh, fair enough, then, <laughs> moving on. <Yeah. laughs>
0: yep, moving on. Um, no, the thing is, jukebox musical is a term that was, was kind of invented after Mamma Mia. Um, so, or if it existed before, it didn't, I hadn't caught on it, but I didn't have the currency it's had since. So we were, we're, I think we probably were one of the very first to take the a back catalogue of an artist that was like A, still alive, and B, not a bio, not telling the life story, trying to make up a brand new story, but using those songs. And I think. That's where, you know, it isn't easy because if you're telling a story through songs, you've got to have a back catalogue that gives you the range to do that. And I think the fact that um, there are so many jukebox musicals that haven't gone on to have years and years of success probably indicates how difficult it is to do it. It looks easy. It should look easy. Like anything any that we enjoy, we shouldn't see the nuts and bolts of it, but it's not easy. And yeah. I was very lucky to have Abba to work with.
1: When it got down to the point where, obviously, Terry Johnson, you know, let's say, referred you to uh, the potential yeah. of the the potential success of the musical Mamma Mia, did you did you, did you sat there for a moment and think it and thought to yourself? Like probably any other who says, you know, a bit like a cliche go in,
0: how did I end up here? Why me? Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, this is, you know, the this you asked about, you know, my agent and that, and saying I was, you know, I had no money this uh, particular January. That I rang him up and there had been a BBC series that hadn't been made. So I rang him up and just said, I've got no money in a tax bill, please find me something. And that was at the point where Judy also called him and said, Terry Johnson has recommended one of your writers to me. Um, He called me back and said, I've got you two interviews. One is for Biker Grove and one is for a musical based around the songs of ABBA. And Biker Grove was the one I wanted because the other one didn't sound like me. I hadn't written a musical before. I had a very preconceived idea of what a musical should be like and I thought no no no, that's not for me and then I went to the meeting and I really got on with Judy and she really inspired me but I think even from that very first meeting where I started to see my way in I thought I don't know why I'm here and I thought that when we were in rehearsals and I thought that when we were in the opening nights and i thought that every now and then if I say how the hell was it? How did you get to do that? I'm not an obvious choice at all.
1: I want I always wanted to ask this. Was you ever in the audition panels where to to assess any of the actresses or actors who are getting the part? You just sit there and think, hmm, she would play a good. You know, yeah, I can't remember the characters. So please forgive me about. I mean, i like I said, if if my missus was sat here,
0: yeah, she yeah. Would yeah, all the
1: characters, but know for the characters were you the ones to be sat there thinking yes you play a good leading part
0: well luckily i never had to do that because i would hate it i did do it a couple of times with stage plays and i just found it too upsetting because you just see so many good people um so for the musical there would the director would be there to assess probably the acting skills but also more, most importantly, I guess, but not more importantly, is singing and dancing. So I would be, I wouldn't be any good on working out whether someone was a triple threat like that. So the director, the choreographer, and the musical director would be the ones attending the initial auditions. But by, I mean, something sort of like of the size of Mamma Mia, they've already been sort of sorted by the casting directors it wasn't a kind of open call or anything like that
1: yeah and but. when it got down to collaborating with the with ABBA when it came mm. there's two of them was it Benny and Björn? yeah that, yeah um because here's the thing if if I released this podcast right now and I got those two um two mixed up <laughs> thing I would have been crucified uh so. But I have to
0: keep practicing saying Bjorn, Bjorn, yeah. yeah Bjorn yeah. and
1: then I got a friend to, from university. She's from Sweden, but her name's Julia, so she's got the most easiest okay. name. She always. Yeah. Tries to, that's how you say it. So, but yeah. when it got down to meeting those two, I bet you that was a bit of a wow. I'm meeting Abba. I'm meeting yeah. you know.
0: Oh, I was terrified, because Benny and Bjorn are producers as well so I had to meet them they had to okay me from the outset it wasn't like they didn't turn up until we were in rehearsal they they were involved pretty much all the way through and I had to write my story up for their approval and they said they liked it and I yeah that's point where I met Bjorn first and then Benny and I It seems odd now how terrified I was of them, but I'd only ever seen them on TV, heard their music, seen pictures of them. And they were so familiar to me. It, Yeah, I, I expected them to be very different from how they actually are, which is... Kind of well, you know, Swedish people they 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 are not fancy, are they? They don't—they they don't do kind of you know, don't look him in the eye, that sort of thing. You know, address him as Mister Anderson. Yeah. It was it was great working with them. They're very very collaborative, and they also laugh a lot. They they make the process fun.
1: When it came when it got down to opening in the West End and it became a huge success, mm. was, did you feel that it was inevitable that Broadway was going to come knocking on, let's say West no. End? It's like I said about the, the story of musicals, like I said, it's all about that series that we're telling about British musicals. It was how yeah. British musicals rise from, from the ashes and took and competed against Broadway. So did you ever feel that Broadway is going to come knocking soon?
0: No, no, because the success of Mamma Mia in London was always a little bit, you know, there were some carping newspaper articles beforehand saying, you know, oh, who's going to go and see this kind of thing. And we weren't that confident that it was going to run for very long. Um, When it became obvious that the show was going to be a big hit in London, there were discussions about where to go next And because ABBA had never been really huge in America, not like they were in Australia, say, um, and obviously UK, people were really tentative about, and, and it was felt you can't go straight into Broadway. It's just gonna bomb, you know, people won't get it. It's very British with the humor. So rather than risk that and wiping it out completely on the very next production, We went into Toronto instead and set up a company there. Um, I did a few tweaks to the script so that it would sound a little less British and a little bit more North American. And it played in Toronto, was a huge success again, enough to leave a production behind in Toronto and to take the actors from the Toronto production into Broadway. so it had, but by, by the time it got into Broadway, I think it might even have played some other places in America as well. I think it was kind of, let's go in quietly rather than, oh, let's go in and say this is the massive, huge hit from London and leave ourselves wide open. Yeah. Of course, the other thing about playing Broadway was that we actually opened right after 9-11. Mm. And so there were a lot a lot of conversations about not opening. And the, um, I, I, has, I don't, don't really want to give him a name check, but the, who was mayor of New York at that time and has since disgraced himself so badly, um, insisted that what New York needed was Broadway reopening, was showing confidence and getting people back in to the heart of town. And so that's what we did. and because it's kind of like a simple, cheerful show, it really went in a, at, at a time when people took it to their hearts.
1: Yeah. The Tony nominations started pouring in. You got a nomination mm. as well. And mm. it, seemed, it, it seemed as if, because I'm looking at the, I hope you didn't feel like I was looking down. I was trying to get the Tony nominations up. Oh, so right, I, yeah. They were but I wasn't really trying to, deli- I was listening. I wasn't trying to, yeah. deliver, but I wanted to see, you know, up against, Thoroughly modern Millie is you know yeah. a, a big musical and the sweet smile of success. And yeah. just looking at some of the names, I mean, into the words being nominated for revival of a yeah. musical. So when you when you found out you got nominated for the Tony Awards for um, I, I'd imagine it was the best book of a musical, if I'm right. So, yeah. Um I
0: think so, yeah.
1: Uh, how how yeah. did that feel? And second of all, when did you go to the ceremony? And if you did, I
0: did, yes. Did, was, I bet you was, had,
1: I bet you met some of the biggest names in, in Bordery, like Sondheim and there's Edward Albee, one of the big
0: playwrights. No, I don't think I, I met anybody, really. I just remember meeting, oh God, it, it's very, um, it's like a lot of these things, you see them on TV and they look so much more glamorous than they are, that you're you turn up in a car and then you're kind of like, shepherded along the carpet. So the only people you get to see are the people who are arriving at the same time as you and then stuck in a seat somewhere. and because it was the book's sort of musical bit. I think I was I remember particularly the producers, you know the writers of year in town were sat behind me. and I remember them because they won. And I turned round and congratulated them. And um, one of the guys said something like, yeah, but you're going to make more money than us. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, OK, <laughs> that, I'll take that. I'll take that over the award. Um, so and we, I met Peter Gallagher, I think, was in Noises Off. But that was it. You know, and my main memories are of um, I was with my son and he got really hungry. So he nipped out to get a McDonald's and. I had to have uh, somebody sat next to me just in case it spanned around. So I was really intrigued by these people who are paid to go and sit next to you if you've got an empty seat at any awards ceremonies, just so the camera won't pick up on empty seats. Mm. I thought that might be quite a nice job to do, actually. I'd love to do that. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I I thought you might, yeah. You get a nice Um, night out. and You you don't get stuck with the same person all night, because, of course, you know, once the proper seat person comes back, you have to get up and you might actually get to sit next to a celebrity then.
1: Yeah. Onto the movie then. When, yeah. was, when was the movie going to... Uh, was there ever a thought that there was going to be a movie?
0: Yeah, well, again, this is sort of very, very early on in the process. And I think Hollywood picked up very quickly on this and... Judy was bombarded with requests and muffin baskets and the sort of thing that producers want to tempt and seduce you with. And she very cannily said, no, I'm going to hang on to the rights. I want to get the show out there. I want it to open in the territories that it should open in. And then I'll talk about a movie. So I think we were about 10 years before, um, whether, I can't remember actually, I'd have to look at dates myself, but I can't remember if it was 10 years that the movie started or 10 years that Judy and I started talking about it. So she'd said to me from about five years in, yeah, there'd definitely be a movie, but I've got to wait until the time is right. So when the time was right was when she was still going to have, meant that she had enough um, clout to keep control and that both Philida and I would stay with it if we'd lost the rights or she'd sold the rights at the beginning, I think it would have, they'd have immediately wanted to work with more experienced people.
1: One thing I need to, meant uh, one person I need to mention when the movie got up and running, mm. is the one and only Meryl Streep. Yeah. Uh, someone got on board. Now, um, how did... What was the idea of bringing Mel Streep in? Was it because it was to add uh, maybe the the star attraction, like some Hollywood movies do, or was it because she is a great actress? Um, yeah. and was was it the first time? I think she sang. I'm not seeing that she has a sang before, but
0: she's trained. She's she um, and I'm not going to remember the name of the play, but she's a trained singer. I mean, she can sing. She just had not done uh, something like this before. Well, the reason. That Judy and Philida asked Merrill Street was because when Mamma Mia opened on Broadway, and as I said before, you know, there was this kind of outpouring of gratitude that Broadway had reopened. Merrill went to see it and she went backstage and she met with the actors, and she wrote a really lovely letter to Judy as a stranger really, but just said what fun it was and how much she'd enjoyed it. Um, so when we sat down and talked about casting, somebody said, I think either Judy or Philida, the director, you know, let's ask Meryl Streep. And we thought, yeah, why not? You know, yeah, aim as high as possible. It doesn't, you. Know, she, she's not gonna say yes, but at least we'll have asked her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they did. And she said, come and meet me in New York. So Philidor and Judy flew over and I was here with my phone waiting for the text. And yeah, Meryl said yes. As soon as Meryl said yes, all the other roles just fell into place because the word had got out that Meryl Streep's might was behind this, that she believed in this movie enough to give up her valuable time to, Appear in it. So the next thing we knew, oh, Pierce Brosnans and Colin Firth, Julie Walters, Christine Brandt, they were all just just there. So I don't think I've ever been in the cast itself so quickly as that. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah. How would you describe Mel Streep then as as a person as well? I mean, in terms of, you know, where she's, she's this multi, multi Oscar nominated yeah. actress by rights yeah. as well. Yes. And, um, yeah. um this is a, you know, a, an actress who's larger than life. You see her on the television. She's yeah. got this aura about her where she just sits there and as people would just go and listen to her watching. Yeah. Her. She, but what's mm-hmm. she like as, as a person just to be around with, just to socialise and just to get on, really? Not just as a the actress, but as yeah. the person.
0: I mean, again, I suffered from a lot of nerves before meeting her because of all the things you've just said about her. And the musical director and I were, I think we met her for the first time at the recording studios because although, yeah, we recorded a lot of, everybody sang live in the shoot, but they were you know, singing, listening to themselves. So they were, there was the sort of mix of live vocals and the pre-recorded vocals. And this was all done before we went into rehearsals for the movie. So that was the first time we met Meryl Streep was at Abbey Road Studios. And you have like, you've, you've kind of heart thumping and you're thinking, what am I going to say? You know, am I going to make an idiot of myself? And, you know, by trying to be... Too casual or too formal, and then when I met her, I realized I understood that she has to deal with this a lot. People who are kind of gobsmacked by her, and the way she deals with it is by being really open and warm, and kind of inviting you in by saying, "I'm no, I'm just a human being like you are," and. I never once saw her in all that time that we worked with her do anything to snap at anyone be grand I'm you know not nothing saying oh god she was so perfect and she was just really normal she works so hard she really gets things right because she works so hard at it but she lets her hair down and has a glass or two at the end of the day just like anyone else I think she was a lot of fun and like and Bjorn somebody who can really laugh a lot at herself other people and just enjoy life yeah I mean I'm I'm even bigger fan of her now having done had that experience and I was before and yet now I see her in movies and that like I watched Don't Look Up the other Mm. night and I don't think. Oh, there's Meryl who I, you know, sat in a bar in New York with and got absolutely slaughtered. I still think she's so good, isn't she? She is a star. Yeah.
1: You know, what, I was. Um, we watched um the the other day Dumber Cup. Yeah. It was all to do. It was all you know Meryl Streep just. Uh, yeah. I mean, the... She
0: she's a star in that, really, isn't yeah, I know. she? Yeah. Supporting,
1: but this is where. Yes. I think she's so good as well. It's like you gotta think um, because I gotta mention this as well. Um, before, you know, one of the films that when that film was released, it was released around the same year as two big blockbusters, the Dark Knights
0: and yeah. Indiana
1: Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. You yeah. At, you look at Heath Ledger's joker, right? Obviously, yeah. he Oscar for Best Supporting Actor may rest in peace. And um, but he stole the movie.
0: He absolutely did. Yeah. He stole yeah. it.
1: Whereas it's the same with Mel Street. I mean, yeah. I, I not many people like doing this, but I loved her in Into the Woods
0: as the Witch. She just I haven't seen me. it. So, but she's I, I must actually. As soon as she said that, I thought, why haven't I watched that yet? Yeah. And for a song type musical, it's it's never
1: easy. Yeah. I mean, I've done yeah. one and I thought, Flemineck, oh, good old Stephen can do that. But uh, yeah i was thinking, wow, she, she can do it, you know, but she can do yeah. anything. And, and she's so, yeah. you know, by bye yeah. Um so. She's
0: very generous as well, though, because she was working with Amanda, you know, as mother and daughter and she, God, you you could see she giving her the, all that sort of motherly care, really allowing her to get into the part and not making her feel intimidated or, oh, you know, my big, musical role and I've got to sing with Meryl Streep you could see Amanda's kind of confidence grow the more time she spent with Meryl and then, and I think the fact that she is so unselfish like that that you know being able to be an unselfish actor and still steal every scene you're in is really pretty amazing isn't it
1: yeah the film as well you mentioned pierce brosnan now mm. i'm a huge fan of Brosnan. you're gonna
0: brosnan. go on about his singing aren't you so I, and what? i love the, i love the opportunity to be able to talk about that yeah. if that's what you were going to go on about
1: yeah that was uh, i'm going to say this again emily you were the one who uh, told me to ask this question <laughs> so i'm asking this now i was not going to ask this but there we go
0: yeah yes carry on <laughs> it, there was obviously, I mean, critically, there was a lot of sniping about the movie because, you know, I think people, I don't know what they were expecting, but uh, the fact is that you mentioned The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight did wonderful box office when it opened, but Mamma Mia kept on and on and on because people kept going back to see it again. It wasn't like a movie experience where you shout once and go away again. Um, But that's by the by. It was, and, and a lot of male critics, I have to say, were a bit sniffy about the movie. And one of the things that they always wanted to pinpoint was this idea that James Bond sings, but he can't sing. Ho, ho, ho. Well, obviously, as I said, in auditions, although obviously Pierce Brosnan doesn't have to audition, but we very subtly made sure that every actor in it could sing, because why would you cast someone who can't sing? And if you listened to him without watching it, of course he can sing. So I think that a lot of this is comes down to some kind of brain thing about, I don't want James Bond to sing. I don't want him to be looking stricken with lost love and that kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, it was very odd because like one of the producers, not our producers, but had sort of said, you know, they had this real, real problem with somebody as what they perceived as masculine as James Bond being vulnerable and singing songs about heartbreak and making a fool of himself. Whereas the actor, Pierce Brosnan embraced all this. He knew that's what he had to do to make the character work. So this is a very long winded way of saying, yes, of course he can sing. And also if you think he can't, then look into, you know, check your own issues on this. And that's it. I won't say anymore. (laughs) I didn't know I was going to say all that, to be honest. Do you know what's
1: the irony of it all? Do you know what's the most irony of it all in the same year? right? I'm going to read them out. So number one of the the box office, right? Yeah. Number one was The Dark Knight. Number two was Indiana Jones, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Number three was Kung Fu Panda. Four was Hancock with Will Smith. Number five, earning over 600 million. There was nearly 610, maybe plus million Mm. was mamma mia and going down the pecking order the film has beaten the very first iron man wow wally Wally, and the quantum of solace james bond film
0: wow well i never
1: so a james bond actor can sing his
0: way through a sprit oh you're frozen on me sorry you're right sorry you froze for a minute so basically because while we were there filming like we could see there was the James Bond tank you know and Pierce would sort of you know make jokes about the last time I was here I was in a tuxedo and this time I'm in a you know 70s jumpsuit and that so basically Pierce Brosnan trounced was it who was the next was it it wasn't Daniel Daniel Craig. Craig it was Daniel Craig yeah Ha <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. And what's That's even more amazing.
1: yeah, and what's even more ironic, no one no one remembers about Quantum of Solace Ironically, yeah. no one remembers it. People remember Casino Royale. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. People remember
1: that. Quantum of Solace was the second one. No one remembers that. People remember Skyfall and then obviously No Time yeah. to Die. Yeah. No one can yeah. remember the second one. So for <laughs> someone um, who's
0: I reckon there's a really, you know, maybe a dissertation to write about, you know, the effects musicals have on James Bond, because not only did it, you know, upset everyone to see the old James Bond in a musical, the musical wiped out everybody's collective memory of the new James Bond for a year. That's, that's extraordinary. Yeah. Well, what was the reason
1: for the location of of the musical? Why was it...
0: Why was it a Greek island? Well, when we started with this, my first meeting with Judy and we were talking about, like, the, the, I mean, once, this is before we got to the actual plot, but we were saying, oh, this got to be intergenerational. It's got to be a mother and, you know, a daughter and because of the songs. And Judy said, oh, the, the songs, they've got this holiday feel. It would be nice if it was somewhere, you know, I don't know, maybe on an island or something. Once we've gotten onto the idea that you're inviting people to a wedding, it's got to, they've got to come somewhere. They can't just be like you know, I'm in Bristol. They popped over from Bath, or they're coming from Chipping Sudbury. You know, they've got to have made a an effort to get there because it's got to be difficult for them to go away again. They've got to be stuck there. So we that's when we came up with the islands and Philida had the director had been backpacked around Greece when she was a student. So had Mark, the designer, so had Howard, the lighting designer, and, and everybody just fell on this idea of it being Greek islands. And at that time, I'd never been. I was having to work from a picture book that Judy gave me, beautiful Greek islands and that. And so the first time I saw the set was the first time I'd being able to really picture it and so it was gorgeous to go there eventually and go oh my god yeah this is why it had to be here and I can't now imagine it being anywhere else at all hmm. but on that Greek island
1: and you went back to that Greek island for the second time here we
0: go again but the story I know. so so I <laughs> at this point I leave the story I didn't I was not involved in it at all so I didn't write it and I didn't have very much to do with it. I mean, I had a couple of plot suggestions. That was all not killing Donna, by the way. But also they didn't actually go back to the same island. Oh, no. So, no. Yeah, so I <laughs> got all that. They went to Croatia instead, I believe. Croatia.
1: So. Sure.
0: Yeah, don't get me started why they didn't go back. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not the plot, not the story. I think the story went back to the island, but they actually filmed in Croatia. Yeah. For reasons we can only guess at.
1: Yeah. Do you know any... um, Because obviously it was sort of slightly not as, you know, as successful as its um, predecessor with the the Mamma Mia, the original uh, film. Mm. Um, But obviously it's garnered so some success and a bit of a following that there's a consideration Mm. for another like a third film um Mm. uh, I'm not saying because I I hate asking this question because it's like oh will there be another Mamma Mia film because I I I just think they're cheesy you can
0: ask and I will answer as honestly as I can which is I don't know it's not it wouldn't be I mean it's quite like weird and I'm used to it now but You spend an awful lot of time with characters, you create characters, you create a world, but you don't own them, you know, they belong to the production companies. So I mean, because I have a good relationship with Judy, the producer, I would probably know in advance whether there was going to be one, but it wouldn't have to be in the preparation or planning stage or anything like that, so... What I think of as my characters don't actually belong to me, and anyway, that's fine because they're imaginary anyway, but real to me. Yeah. And so, yeah, I d- I don't know. I, I mean, again, as a guess, uh, why not? You know, it, why wouldn't there be? If there's a if people want to see it, then yeah, I think it would be probably a really good move to do one.
1: So after all the success of Mamma Mia and with the musicals being, the musical film and the musical stage adaptation itself being successful, and and Mamma Mia is still going, isn't it, in, in London? Am, am I right?
0: Oh, well, yeah, touch wood. I mean, you know, COVID. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's, so, yes, we had to close for a few days in December because of uh cast members falling ill but I think it's actually open at the moment sorry I keep getting messages yeah. this is
1: the, it's the uh, announcement of uh <laughs> the,
0: yeah, <one>. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: but um with, with you as the was a playwright you know as a writer what's mm. the next step for you now Catherine in, in terms of what would be your next passion passion project what would you like to start writing now
0: um god I mean obviously I'm working on a couple of things which you know I can't really talk about and they have to be my passion projects in a sense because I have to feel passionate about everything I'm doing so like but I don't know I yeah I've got loads of ideas written down though I had an idea for a sort of um kind of young adult sort of kind of mystery thriller type thing that I keep thinking I'm gonna have a go at at some point so uh yeah if I got my little ideas book out every now and then and I see what I think, oh yeah, that would still work or no hang on, that's been done by somebody else now. Um, yeah, I mean I there's something that I think I might be doing next year that I'm really. Kind of, it's just a theatre piece, but that's I'm looking forward to. The funny thing is, obviously, like I have achieved all my ambitions because if, if I have film, West End, Broadway, I'm like, God, that, how did I manage to, again, going back to what you said about how did you get it, how did I manage to do all that with one thing? And so I, I can now be ambitious in. Ways that don't have to be big. It can just be about, oh, I can't, I'd really love to work in this theatre. I'd really love to work with these people, kind of thing.
1: Last question on the podcast, and I want to say a big thank you as well, Catherine, for coming. Oh, thank on. Thank you.
0: Please. Yeah, thanks so much.
1: No worries. And it's how do you look back on your career?
0: Um, I don't. <laughs> I hope there's love, love it. More. That's it. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I just don't, you know, I I am very much about what's going on for me right now. And uh, you know, I'm kind of surrounded by stuff that reminds me of my career, but it's yeah, it it, I just well, I feel really lucky for all the stuff that's happened, not just Mamma Mia, but writing is a thing that I want to do. Writing is every day, I wish, not every day can I write. uh, 80% of the time I'm banging my head against the laptop, but when it does work, when it is working, I just think this is what I want to do. So if I'm gonna leave you with a thought is, yeah, writing is reward in itself, but obviously a royalty check is another reward too. (laughs) Uh-huh. And have we got news for you. You better listen. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is coming to the Memo Arts Centre from the 20th to the 23rd of July, featuring 25 dance floor classics such as I Will Survive, Hot Stuff, Go West, and many more. Tickets on sale now at memoartcenter.co.uk or call at 01446 738